Hey, Dr. Mike here. Have you bumped your head lately? Well, what's a knocking in your noggin? Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Live Foreverish, a show dedicated to helping you live just a little longer. Here's your hosts, Dr. Mike and Dr. Crystal Gosser. All right, welcome to Live Foreverish. I'm on my own today. Dr. Crystal is out on vacation, probably drinking a margarita right about now. What do you think, Hannah? Probably having a good time. Worrying about the worrying about the podcast, I'm sure. I'm sure not. Uh, anyways, we're going to talk today about concussions. You know, it's um, definitely in the news now. Now that uh, football is the NFL is in full gear, um, and but but of course, <laughs> we're not all of us are professional football players. So in today's show, we're going to kind of bring it home to us normal people, I guess is a good way to say it. So I've brought in a really special guest. Uh, he has a PhD in neurosciences uh, with a little focus on brain injuries from the University of Miami. His name is Dr. Stephen Tappanis. Dr. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to talk more about brain injury and concussion. It's got a... yeah. A nice place in my heart. Oh, nice. <laughs> I thought you were going to say nice, nice place near, in your brain. Near and dear, I would say. <laughs> um, so it is funny, though. It seems like uh, the the topic of brain injury concussion always does come back up uh, when football season starts, right? Yeah. Uh, but obviously football is not the only contact sport. Um, baseball, you know, I mean, you slide into second. I've seen some bad collisions there. And um, the point I want to make is when most of the people watching this show, Dr. Steven, are not, they're not athletes. I mean, they're not making millions and millions of dollars and stuff like that. So I think what happens to the athlete is maybe a different podcast, a different story. This one we wanted to bring back just to the everyday person and talk a little bit about, you know, what are concussions, who's at risk, what we can do about them uh, if something uh, were to happen. But before we do that, uh, I- I'm always interested, especially with with you PhD guys, right? <laughs> I'm a clinician, right? You got, I, you know, I spent my time touching people. You spend your time in these dark labs, <laughs> These weird little bubbly things coming out of yep. uh, flasks. <laughs> so, you know, Dr. Stephen, we have guests on. I'm always kind of interested in how they got started kind of in their field. You know, I'm a clinician. Um, you're, you're one of those PhD guys. Now, listen, the, we, a clinician can't do anything without the PhD guys. I need, I, need you in, I need you in those dark rooms with those bubbly things coming out of flasks, those acids and bases, and I need you figuring out stuff, right, at the cell level. Um, but I guess, why neuroscience? Like, what, or why brain injury? You mentioned it was, it's dear to your heart. Like, why? So, I mean, I've always been interested in, you know, biology and science in general. I was kind of the kid where on Saturday morning, you know, it was between cartoons and Bill Nye the Science Guy, and I sort of gravitated <laughs> towards Bill Nye. Um, and then, you know, the, the brain to me is something that it controls so much in the body. So it's always fascinated me how complex it is, but yet how we fit it into such a small space and something that, you know, geared my interest towards brain injuries and concussions is I actually experienced a concussion back when I was a teenager. Ah. I think I was about 15 or 16. Uh, so it was during a skiing trip with my family. I, you know, went up the ski lift, boom, I got hit uh, in a collision, had this concussion. So I experienced all these, you know, symptoms and and things firsthand. And so when I started to study the brain in graduate school, I landed in a lab that focused on brain injury and how we can, you know, address these things that happen in brain injury, how we can try to change what's going on with some of the cells to prevent the damage. And so it kind of just came full circle. 
where, you know, the experiences that I've had now allowed me to be in a position I was able to research it, try to find out more, and hopefully, you know, be able to educate people and, and make it uh, something that we can approach easier. So, so you you were coming off the ski lift. Are you one of those guys that caused like a big pileup? <laughs> no. Actually, so I had gotten off. This was so I'm I'm a pretty avid skier for being a Floridian. I would say right. So you know, as much as we can. <laughs> but we decided that year that we were going to try snowboarding. And what happened is we got off the lift, and then I was going down the mountain, and I had a collision with my cousin who was um, you know on the trip with us. And immediately I was talking to, you know, my brother. I don't, I don't have any memory of this, by the way. This is yeah, one of the things yeah. that happens with concussions. But, you know, he said I was adamant about I need to go back down, right? So they actually made an exception of sending me down the ski lift, which oh. doesn't really happen often. They kind of say once you go up, you go down the mountain, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, that's when I got evaluated, went to the hospital, and they diagnosed me with a concussion. Yeah. So it's uh, another fun family vacation. <laughs> right, yeah. And and so so I and I agree with you. I you know, when you look at um all the different body parts, right? The brain, I mean, there's so much we don't know. You know, so so much that we still need to study and understand and so um and I think head injuries is one of those things. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens clinically. There's a lot of stuff that's happening at the cell level. Uh, and we'll kind of talk a little bit ab- about some of that today. So, but if, if we're not the professional athletes, obviously, you know, you're going, going on a vacation with your family, going skiing, there's a risk there. Yeah. What are the, what are, you know, who else is at risk um, for, you know, everyday concussions out there? You know, in a way, almost everyone's at risk, right? You know, one of these things is we don't plan in our day. You know, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to slip and fall. I'm going to get into a car accident. I'm going to, you know, have some sort of event that happens that ends up bumping my head. Right. So in a way, everyone's kind of at risk. Uh, I would say that children in particular, uh, especially boys, they tend to be a little bit more rough and they horseplay a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some, you know, some data that they tend to be, uh, you know, susceptible to these head injuries and the elderly as well, because, again, they're they're more, um, you know, likely to fall. And in the case, the event that they fall, they might sustain more damage. And so that ends up, you know, increasing their their likelihood of sustaining a concussion. Um, but again, it's just important that we have to try to not, you know, be hyper-focused on safety all the time, right? But just be aware that maybe you shouldn't be running up and down the mm-hmm. stairs. You know, maybe your kids shouldn't be, you know, sliding around the right. house in their socks because who knows what happens. Yeah, yeah. Which is stuff that happens every single yeah, exactly. day and every single yep. moment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, what, so when we, how do you, you know, as a PhD, um, how do you, when you were studying concussion and brain injury, how were you um, categorizing this stuff? Like what types of concussions come out of your world and your research? Uh, so in the research and, you know, in the research field, we pretty much try to model a concussion based on what we would clinically see. Uh, and so we break it down essentially into three different categories where it's, you know, mild, moderate, and severe. Um, when we have an animal model, we have different parameters that we can adjust to, to mimic that injury. But from a clinical perspective, usually a mild concussion is something where someone hits their head, you know, they don't lose consciousness, which is, which is as good as it can be in that Mm -hmm. scenario, but they might be confused. Um, you know, they might kind of forget what they were doing at the time. A more moderate concussion would be something where, you know, they might develop some numbness or weakness. Uh, they have the potential to lose consciousness, even if it's very brief. If that happens, it is 
imperative that you seek a physician. You have to go see a doctor. That's something that should not be taken lightly. Right. It's very right. serious. And then in the case of a very severe concussion, so maybe someone who got into a car accident and wasn't wearing a seatbelt, um, you know, direct hit to the head, they might lose consciousness for a longer time. And that becomes even more important because the longer that you're out, you know, the higher the likelihood you have of developing a, a permanent, uh, you know, brain damage or some symptom that, that might last for longer, you know, behavior changes and you just trouble with memory, all these things. So it's just important that, you know, you make sure you see a physician right. first off. Um, but again, it, it does depend on, on the degree of the, the concussion as well. So, I, well, that's good. That right there is some good advice, right? If you're a parent and your kid is, you know, sliding down the banister of your stairs or whatever and falls, hits their head. If any unconsciousness happened, you know, if you ran run in there and see that they're just coming out of it or maybe they're still unconscious, right, you got to go. To the Absolutely. Emergency room. Right, right. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. A lot of parents, though, you know, let's let's be honest, kids hit their heads a lot, <laughs> right? And, and, and not just kids. You know, a lot of people are taking care of their parents now, right? Um, and so... You know, not and not everybody becomes unconscious after a knock on the head. So, how long? Like, how long should you watch somebody? So, somebody hits their head, whether it's a kid, it's grandma, whatever it is. They they weren't unconscious, um, but like, how long should I be focused on them and and worried about them and looking for progression of things? So, you should definitely keep an eye on them immediately. Of course, um, some of these symptoms can start to manifest over time, maybe after a day or two days. So, it's important to keep an eye on them for at least a couple of days. Uh, you know, you might see things though where, as you said, they might not lose consciousness, but you know, if they're forgetful or they just kind of are off. You know, you know how your kids act. You know how your mm -hmm. parents are. If they kind of just start doing things that are out of the norm, and that becomes a little bit consistent in that time frame, that's that's definitely a sign that they may have sustained some sort of damage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as a clinician, I, you know, as I mentioned before we started the show, I was a radiologist, and so a lot of the initial CT scans we would look at, ultimately we were looking for bleeds, you know, uh, something bleeding. Um, they're called subdermal hematomas. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the thing about those is you may not see it initially, but those can be small and grow over time. And so I think you're right. If, you know, if you're a day after someone hits their head couple days after and they're still having some problems uh, maybe there's some numbness weakness um, they should go get checked because that that if there is a bleed there it can be growing exactly and that's why we have to kind of do our due diligence of you know we, we can't see the bleeds without these these imaging techniques right yep. so we have to say you know how are they acting how are they responding to things and using that sort of as being an at-home clinician and, and getting an idea based on what you know about the person to then determine, you know, hey, maybe we should go see a doctor. Maybe we should take them into the hospital. Yeah. So when 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 a decision is finally made by a caregiver, okay, I we got to go. We got we got to go get this checked out. Um, and I'm not just talking about a follow up like at, at at your own doctor. I'm talking about we need to go to urgent care. We need to go to emergency care. What's going to happen when they get there? So the you know you'll get to the hospital obviously, and then the doctor is going to come see you. They're going to immediately perform some sort of assessment. Usually, there's a couple different types of tests that they can look at for concussions. Um, pretty much it's like a questionnaire, right? So the doctor might come in and say, how are you feeling? Can you remember these facts? What were you doing when you hit your head? Do you have any memory of the events? You know, like I said, when I had my concussion, I, I don't remember what happened. I remember kind of just being in the hospital and they were like, remember these three things. I'm going to come back in 15 minutes. 
And then thankfully I was able to remember them. Yeah. And so that kind of, you know, let them know my, my status. In some cases, they also do a little bit of a more in-depth assessment. So they might look at, you know, a physical examination of your eye function, your, your verbal responses, your motor uh, responses. And it's also important that they'll look into all of your history as well, you know, so we might not be professional athletes, but there are people who have been prone to having multiple injuries. And, you know, each time you have an injury, it has a chance of being worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons we want to try to prevent them. But so they kind of do this holistic approach of, you know, what, what are their symptoms, what's their history, and then doing this assessment. And if it ends up being severe enough, they might, you know, subject them to, to some imaging to make sure that they don't have any bleeding and things like that. Yeah. So when I was in medical school, um, do, doing my emergency um, rotation. Now, this was a long time ago, Dr. Steven. Uh, we, I, I remember taking care of some people that, that had concussion. But there, other than fluids, other than ruling out bleeds, there really wasn't much that we did. I remember that. We, even, even in some pretty severe ones, it was really just let's watch them. Instead of watching them at home, we watched in the emergency room. Sometimes they would get admitted. They'd be watched overnight or something like that. Is there anything new in in clinical medicine uh, for tre- if, if there are some signs uh, are there medicines out there now that maybe can slow down any progression that's happening um, anything on the horizon like that uh, there's you know studies that have been done trying to identify different you know compounds and drugs and things that could help slow progression or prevent the progression but a lot of the times the issues with you know brain injuries is that when we try to target these mechanisms we inherently target the good parts of the brain Mm. and so it's kind of this this fine balance where it can be difficult to identify a drug for example that actually works without ending up having a negative effect in the end so there's not really many drugs that can be taken um you know you can address the symptoms so for example someone that might have um you know headaches they can they can take a tylenol um but still you know there's not anything that's really been approved for concussions for brain injuries um it's just you know rest yeah. To, you know, maybe treat your headache with a Tylenol and just try to hang out. Now, there may be an exception there with, with maybe some hormonal treatment, right? Isn't there some interesting research looking at DHEA um, and even, uh, if I get this wrong, correct me, pregnenolone? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So these, um, they're, they're definitely hormones, but in the brain, they sometimes are just referred to as neurosteroids. Mm-hmm. And so they don't necessarily have the same hormonal function we might think of. Because they do affect cells, but they don't do it in the same ways that we think of when we think, you know, hormones, right? Yep. But so DHEA and pregnenolone, for example, there's, you know, a variety of studies that it's shown these molecules, they can help support, you know, cognitive function, uh, learning and memory, nerve cell health. Even in, in preclinical data or preclinical studies, uh, DHEA can not just reduce the, you know, amount of damage that the animal model is undertaking after injury, but it can also promote the recovery. So it's kind of a double effect, right, where we reduce the injury and then we also promote the recovery Mm -hmm. as opposed to just one or the other. Um, And these are things that, you know, DHEA and pregnenolone are in the brain. You know, it's naturally occurring. It's, it's, you know, contributing to the function in the brain. Uh, And so, you know, bolstering our, our status on that is always a good idea to, you know, just help maintain that function and try to prevent any damage that comes from injury. So, so really, these these neuroactive steroids are ultimately um, brain cell protective, in a, in a sense. Yes. Keeping them functioning the way they should, 
uh, after an injury, slowing that progression. So that does sound pretty promising. So, so you know, DHEA, pregnenolone, these are over-the-counter. So you bump your head, you go to the ER, they watch you overnight, you go home. Should you go and take some DHEA? I would say yes, especially if you're doing it beforehand. It's something that, you know, it's, it's almost like when you get sick, right, you want to give your body the nutrients that you need. You know, so you want to eat, you want to drink. So in this case, if your body needs these nutrients and it's using these nutrients, it's it's a good idea yeah. to give it what it needs, right? Of course, you should talk to your doctor. They they can give you the recommendations that you need. Um, but if I was in that that scenario, that's something that I would do. Probably bump. Yeah, I do DHEA um, regularly, so I would. I might even bump up my dose a little bit or something because I know where my. And that's what's key when you, if you're taking these hormones beforehand. We you know you should always know your blood levels. Uh, which is nice. And so I know mine's pretty good. And I could bump my dose up a little bit for a while, let that brain heal, and then I can go back down yep. to my, norm, my normal dose. Um, you mentioned something just about nutrients, um, it, it, just eating well and stuff. I guess if you go home after a concussion, probably best not to drink alcohol, right? You probably, you, you probably don't want to go out and party, yeah. <laughs> right? You probably want to do some healthier things, right? <laughs> yep, that's true. Again, you know, it's, hey, rest, rest, and more rest. That's yeah, pretty much yeah. one of the best things that you can do. Uh, hydration, yep. good hydration, eating well, get your antioxidants, all that kind of exactly. stuff. Right? Yeah. Um, Omega-3s, you had mentioned, you brought this up actually in, in, when we were just talking before the show. What's going on there? Yeah, so there's some recent data in preclinical studies, again, you know, mostly with rodents where they have subjected these, you know, these mice and these rats to a brain injury. They treat them with high doses of omega-3s, and they looked at behavior studies, uh, histology, and tissue, and they've found, you know, improved brain performance. The There's a neuroprotective effect, so it's helping protect the tissue from the damage, um, you know, decreased inflammation in the site of injury. And so these omega-3s in the high dose in the preclinical studies are really pointing towards the potential of maybe helping to sort of you know, ameliorate some of that, that damage and the, the changes that are happening after injury. This is something that, you know, we still have to look into clinical studies, of course, right. but uh, it is a promising step, I think, that we have strong data to, to build a foundation on. And, you know, people are taking omega-3s all the time, right? right so right. not only are we benefiting, you know, our heart and all these other aspects that, that we're taking the omega-3s for, but we might also have a nice additional benefit. Maybe it's time to bring it into the ERs when someone comes in concussed. Let's let's start looking at it clinically, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like it makes sense. I mean, we could get people like Robson and Hannah, our producers. We could just knock them on the head. Yeah, do a test and right then now. Get, we, we can do it right now. <laughs> I, got, I got some Omegas. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously, you know, you bring those things in and if there's a, if there's a protocol for using omega-3s and, you know, ER could follow that yeah. and that would be some interesting data, I think. Yeah. So anything other than, other than the the hormones or in, in this case it's more neuroactive steroids right in, in the brain omega-3 anything else nutritionally you see out there i mean mainly again it's just you know make sure you're hydrated you know avoid alcohol right but you you know water is important sometimes when people have these injuries it's easy to you know forget whether it's you know on, on purpose or not to, to not drink much you might yeah. not eat just because you don't feel well right, you know it's yeah. similar again when you're sick you if you don't feel well you don't feel like, like I, I don't want to eat and, but yeah, but yeah. then you know you have a, a bowl of soup or you have whatever sits well and all of a sudden you feel a lot better after so just um you know being smart and trying to be be healthy in your your choices and, and yeah I think that's you know a 
Good so that was Stephen Tampanes. He has a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Miami. Uh, Dr. Stephen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank today. you for having me. It was a great time. Uh, so listen, liveforeverish.com is a great website to go. Uh, lots of other podcasts there. We're well over 300 now. Go ahead and download some. And when you do, please like, share, comment, and subscribe so you never miss a show. You know, Dr. Stephen on, uh, at uh, liveforeverish.com, I call it the one-two punch. Boom, boom. Right, Robson? The one-two punch. You give your email and you join the Live Foreverish family. Uh, and then you can write there, subscribe with from your favorite aggregate where you like to watch podcasts. The one-two punch. Pretty good, right? Awesome. Liveforeverish.com. I'm Dr. Mike. Thanks for listening.